0: Listener supported, WNYC Studios.
1: Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think. How did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab: Adventures on the Edge of What We Think We Know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Kathy Tobin.
0: Big news. Okay, I have finally answered a major question for myself.
2: Okay, what's that?
0: My patronus. Is a capybara.
2: I don't know if I know what that is.
0: It's like a rodent. It's an adorable rodent creature. Okay. They're large and cuddly. Okay. Looking at the Wikipedia page, it says that they prefer social groups of around 10 to 20. Same. Okay. Interaction with other humans. They're friendly, but it's not encouraged. (laughs) Same.
2: In my head, I'm picturing you as a giant hamster.
0: That enjoys hot tubs.
1: (laughs) From WNYC Studios, this is Nancy.
2: With your hosts, Tobin Lowe and Kathy Tu.
0: Kathy, I have a question for you. Okay. What do you know about lip syncing?
2: What I know is that I am not good at it. Okay. Um, boy bands are the best at it.
0: How dare you? Keep going.
2: And um, it's a thing that happens on Drag Race. Very good. <laughs> All of those things are true.
0: But have you seen the lip sync videos by Bowen and Yang on Twitter?
2: Yes, because you've shown them to me a million times now.
0: Okay, so for people who haven't seen it a million times, imagine taking an iconic scene from TV or film, like, say, Tyra Banks flipping out on America's Next Top Model.
2: When my- yelled at this is because she loves me. I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How dare you?
0: So now imagine Bowen sitting in his room. He's a Gaysian just like us. He's got short hair, glasses, he's in selfie mode on his phone, and he is lip syncing the entire scene word perfect. Like one of my favorites is him as Meryl Streep in Devil Wears Prada.
2: That blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs. And it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when, in fact, you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people
0: in this room from a pile of stuff. So you can't see it right now, but he is giving you gestures. He's giving you the breaths, the subtle eyebrow raises.
2: (laughs) You really have to go online to Twitter and see it yourself. Yes,
0: absolutely. So Bowen is a comedian and producer and now a writer on Saturday Night Live, which is the longest running sketch comedy show in the U.S. That makes the fact that Bowen is on the writing staff such an amazing thing.
2: Yeah, because I don't think it's a stretch to say that SNL hasn't always had, let's say, the most diverse writing staff.
0: Right. But now they have Bowen, who they are so lucky to have. Yeah. And we asked Bowen to come into the studio to talk to us. Fellow queer Asian and Yang, thank you for being here. Thank you for
1: having me. This
0: is so
2: exciting.
1: This is huge. I was uh, Tobin was greeting me, and I and he said, "This is a big moment in queer Asian media history."
0: When we started this interview, wherever Sandra is, she stopped and went. Something's happening. Something's <laughs>
1: happening. Um, Sandra, yeah, the the wind shifted, and um, wherever she is upstate, I'm sure she's upstate. <laughs>
0: um. So I'm going to start by saying your bio says you were a mediocre chemistry major. I was
1: a mediocre chemistry major. I was a BA, not even a BS, which is shameful. How a bachelor of arts in chemistry? How? Like that's, what does that mean? It means that I just didn't, I I didn't take the right classes. I was really, I don't know. I, I just didn't really f- ever think to talk to a single guidance <laughs> counselor person uh, advisor at, at NYU. Yeah.
2: Why chemistry?
1: Because um, this is a true story. Speaking of Sandra O, oh, I was misled into thinking that I wanted to be a doctor because of Grey's Anatomy. Oh <gasps> my
2: god! It really
1: warped my whole self perception. I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna do that when I grow up." Wow. So you saw
0: Sandra O oh and Grey's Anatomy, and were like, "That I'm gonna do that." Yep.
1: Basically, that is that is representation, um, and that is that is ultimately damaging. That <laughs> ultimately just tells you to do the wrong thing in life. It's bad
2: representation.
1: <laughs> bad representation. There is such a thing. Absolutely.
2: And then when did the shift happen? When did you decide comedy is it?
1: hmm I mean, it was always sort of there. It was the undercurrent. Like, I was that really annoying person on the college tours who would, at the end, be like, yeah, so do you guys have a comedy group here? Like, I was... <laughs> that, like, figured into my... where I would matriculate, and, like, I... It was sort of there at the back of my mind, but I I just lied myself into, I tricked myself into thinking, this is just a hobby, it's a a little side gig, whatever. Mm -hmm. But then the moment that I was like, oh, I made a mistake was at commencement. It was NYU. We traditionally, at the time at least, we did our commencement in Yankee Stadium. But I sat with all the theater arts kids. I made a conscious choice not to sit with my other chemistry buds my pre-made buds and I sat with the arts kids because those were mostly my friends anyway from doing improv at school Mm -hmm. and then I just looked around and everyone was so happy and everyone was so excited to like go into this next chapter in their lives and I was there like oh no this is not how I feel at all Mm -hmm. um and that was like the first big sort of sea change for me where I was like oh no I, I I biffed it like I gotta I gotta do something else
2: What's what's one thing that sticks out in your memory as something you learned from your med school days?
1: Oh, probably that um, Asian people lack alcohol dehydrogenase, which is the enzyme that metabolizes alcohol, mm. which accounts for Asian glow.
0: Wait, okay, <laughs> but what does it mean if I am fine with alcohol? Am I just an anomaly
1: or like— I think you just—you genetically express that protein, that enzyme. You're Then great, like, good for you, Tobin. Like, you can— <laughs> Not
0: so bad. Shotgun, (laughs) 10 beers in a night.
1: Wow, privilege. Wow. Alcohol dehydrogenase privilege (laughs) on Nancy. I can't believe this. Just flagrant.
0: Um, Who were your comedy heroes growing up?
1: Um, Comedy heroes growing up, and this is so funny, because this is also an instance of bad representation. It's not even representation, (laughs) but it was like Alex Borstein on Mad TV. I was like, oh, she's the best. But then... And we should talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. Miss Swan is very complicated. It's yeah. not. Yes. I mean, it's I agree. F- flagrantly offensive. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. offensive.
0: Well, so to back up, <laughs> this is a character from Matt TV that Alex Borstein, who is not Asian,
1: right. played. Right. Yes. But it's basically a caricature
0: of a I don't even remember if she's supposed to be Japanese or
1: Korean. She was just a,
2: Asian Oriental. Asian,
1: Pan-Asian. <laughs> yes. She was the Polynesian sauce of, of sketch characters. <laughs> Yeah. I need to get a description from you, and it's only going to take us a few minutes, all righty? I saw everything, okay. Oh, great. <laughs> great. Can you describe the perpetrator to me, ma'am?
0: Yeah, he he look like a man.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just so nondescript, so broad, like terrible, mm. so offensive. But I would watch that, and I would be like... That is That looks so fun. I want to do that. Top of mind for some reason comedy <laughs> hero is Alex Borstein. But she's great and she's fantastic and she yeah. has a really good career and, and she has had a good career. Um, but her and like this is the thing about being just an other of anything is that you have these heroes who end up disappointing you anyway in the things that they do mm. in these in these sort of problematic ways. And you have to sort of negotiate how much what you want to take away from each of them especially as an Asian person or especially as a person of color, as an other in general. But yeah, that's like the fun thing you have to navigate as
2: <laughs>
1: as one of us.
2: I have to admit that I also was a big fan of Miss Swan. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. And I was like, Mad TV is so much better than SNL because <laughs> they have Miss Swan. Can you imagine saying that now? I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, you can't say that now, but like... At the time, it's like you—that was you were you were grasping at straws, you were fighting over crumbs. Like mm-hmm. that was the crumb, and it was something,
2: right? Um, so we feel obligated to ask this as Asian folks: mm-hmm. What do your parents think of what you do?
1: Uh huh. They up until like yeah, like three four months ago were like, "What are you doing?" They're like, "You're making a <laughs> huge mistake." I mean, they've they've had a very sort of I mean, t- to their credit, they've been very patient. Very practical in that very immigrant sense of, like, just make sure you're okay. Like, Mm -hmm. we've made sacrifices to make sure that you will be okay, and you're still doing, like, bar shows in a basement, like, at 11 p.m. on a weeknight. Like, is that what you want to do? Which is a fully understandable, pragmatic concern. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until my mom saw me on TV doing something, and then her coworkers be like, oh my God, we saw Bowen on TV. It took other people to sort of validate that for her to feel comfortable.
2: My mom is always yelling at me about just make sure that you can eat. She's mm-hmm. really worried that I can't feed myself.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. They're concerned at every level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah. that they would they just want to make sure <laughs> that you have shelter and food. Like, it's
2: so <laughs> true. Uh-huh.
0: Is there an example of a joke about either your queerness or being Asian that you might not have told before, but that you're like, more recently like, I'm going to talk about this? I'm going to oh, joke yeah. about it.
1: Yeah. Um, I tell this story. So a few years ago, I was working with like, a three year dry spell of just, like, not having sex with anybody. Mm-hmm. And then there was this guy uh, who was visiting from Taiwan on business. Mm-hmm. There was a bit of a language barrier. Even though I speak Mandarin Chinese, we both spoke Mandarin. Like, my Mandarin proficiency was basically the same as his English proficiency. Like, it just—those were bumping up against each other. But I met him at his hotel, and he <laughs> he stops sort of in the thick of things and is like, do you have poppers, which are alkyl nitrites, which vasodilate you to facilitate anal sex? Yes. And science. none of this will make it to, <laughs> to air, will it? Um, probably will. Probably will? Great. <laughs> um, and uh, I said, no, do you? He goes, no, but I have something that will make you feel good. And he reaches into this dop kit and pulls out, like, a little dime bag with, like, little flakes in it. And then pulls out a glass pipe, and he, he like, starts to, like, load it. And then he's like, here, take a hit of this. And I go, what is that? And this is where the language barrier comes back. He goes, I don't know what you guys call this in English. Oh, no. So then I ask him, is it opium? And he says, what's opium? And then I feel a racist for assuming that a Taiwanese man would carry opium on him. (laughs) And so at that moment, that was the perfect intersection of like, oh no, like what a terrible misunderstanding of being queer and age. like, just terrible. And then, so then I smoke it, and then out of out of out of guilt, out of guilt, I'm like, oh, I better smoke this. And then we have like aerobic seven hour sex, and then afterwards, like post-coitus, I'm like, what was that? Like I really want to get to the bottom of what that was. And he was like, hmm. And now he starts to like actually put in an effort and he starts rummaging. He's like, oh, I think you guys call it T. And I was like, ah, uh, that doesn't ring any bells. Do you know of other names? And he goes, T is short for Tina. I was like, that means nothing to me. What, is, what does Tina mean? He goes, oh, Tina for Christina. And then I start putting two and t- two together and then I go, oh, Christina, Crystal, was that meth? <laughs> And then he has, like the worst eureka moment. He goes, "Oh man!" <laughs> so yeah, like I, I got roped into smoking meth with a Taiwanese man, and that is bad representation. That is bad sexual diversity, anyway. But that is, like, a moment, and, like, that is, like, and, like, I tell that story on stage, and it, and it's fun, and it's, it's, everyone's on board with it, thankfully. Um, but, yeah, that's, like, it, that's, like, the perfect intersection of, like, queer identity, Asian identity being fully fucked up. So, yeah. Anyway. Oh, uh, that's a great story. Wow. But, yeah, Amazing. I mean, I wouldn't have felt comfortable telling that, like, even five years ago. Mm-hmm. So. Now it's out there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um... I think we want to talk about lip syncing a little bit. (laughs) Let's
1: talk about it. We
2: have to. We have to. We gotta.
0: So you have taken, let's say, like the queer art of lip syncing Uh (laughs) and created these short videos on Twitter Uh where you lip sync iconic scenes, word perfect. Uh Yes. You've done Tyra Banks. Yes. You've done the Meryl Streep scene from Devil Wears Prada. Yes. And it's not just that you, like, lip-sync them. You do, like, gestures perfectly. You do the breaths perfectly. (laughs) So, basically, we just want you to walk us through the process. Okay.
1: (laughs) Happy to. Happy (laughs) to. Um, Of course. um, It's really, really fun. (laughs) Uh, It's just, yeah, I'll I'll pick out a a snippet of something. And then, basically, we'll just sort of chunk it out by, like, 30, 20-second increments. And just run those, run those, run those. It really is that thing of like just sticking with it. And like, um, I do like a hundred plus takes for each one, and ninety nine percent of them are terrible. And truly, like, I pick between two takes where I'm like, okay, those are technically clean. I fix this and this and this, but you know what? Not being too precious about it, let's post. Like, it really is just um about running it over and over and over again spending, like, four hours in my room doing each one.
2: They all look so effortless.
1: Thank you. Thank you. But no, they, I mean, there's so much effort being put (laughs) into them.
0: I just, I love the energy of them because they remind me of being a little queer boy in a bedroom and idolizing iconic performances by women.
1: Yes, where it's like you would do, like, you know, Hit Me Baby One More Time, Corey. It was like, it was that thing, basically, of just being, for me, it was my basement and just... Just recreating those moments in that same way—it's that very childlike instinct of just celebrating something that you're responding so emotionally mm-hmm. to,
0: and then going make a viral online, and then yes. yeah, and more
1: well, than just posting it and seeing where it
2: goes. <laughs> Coming up, Bowen talks to us about Aquafina rivalry and SNL. Nancy will be
0: back
1: in a minute. A journalist gives up his disinformation beat to buy a site of satirical fake news, The Onion. We often hear from journalists that running a media outlet shouldn't be complicated, and yet the suits make it so. You're now a suit, Ben. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Is it complicated? Hey, you can't see this, but I'm in
0: two tuxedos right now. It's one tuxedo inside of <laughs> another tuxedo.
1: On this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On the Media wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And we're back. So one of the reasons we really wanted to talk to Bowen is because he's now one of the writers at SNL. And that is a big deal because SNL has had a long history of having mostly white writers.
0: Bowen's only been there for a short while, but he's already helped write some of my favorite sketches to date. Like, for example, GP Yas. Introducing GP Yas. <laughs> Drag race, Garmin has expanded our voice options to include drag entertainers. Let GP yas turn your unstimulating trip into a
2: sickening one.
0: Oh, look, honey, the icon for the car is a glamourlink
2: fingernail. Entering school zone. Bitch, slow your ass down so you don't squash a child flat like a squirrel. And here's something I didn't know. SNL's process for hiring writers sometimes involves having them audition just like actors. I would not do well. Same.
1: I'd been sort of in process for like the past year just like going in and doing like screen like auditions. So just like coming up with the characters and they had brought me back in a few times over the year. Uh, it was always really fun. It was nerve wracking, but it was ultimately like a good process to just like come up with stuff and to work within like these parameters of, well, the only impressions I do can only be Asian people. Hmm. And so... Who are you bringing in? So this is the thing. Because of the lack of representation, I had to really, like, scrape the bottom of the barrel. But it meant that I could have fun with these things. So uh-huh. I did a Michiko Kakutani.
2: <laughs> Wait, and that was she's,
1: like... she's a New York Times... She was a New York Times... The chief New York Times book critic. And she was so mean, was so, like just a real hard ass uh-huh. and like everyone in in the literary world was trying to please her for like decades and then oh. she just retired a couple of years ago but mm-hmm. she's never done an on camera interview uh-huh. her photo has been taken maybe twice in her entire career um, wow. she's just this very mysterious aloof person And so I was like, well, no one knows what she sounds like, and people barely know what she looks like. I will... I basically just put on a wig, a scarf, a blazer. I was just like, screaming like this, but like, it was just Michiko. And she was like, going through... She was doing rapid fire reviews. She was like, Jay McInerney, trash. Like, it was just... She was just like, going through all these books and just shitting on them. (laughs) And then like, the closer was, okay, well, I gotta go. I gotta go punch Toni Morrison in the face. Like, she's just... I just that was my take on her, and it was just really fun and and crazy. Um, I did her. <laughs> I did. I do Alexander Wang. That was fun. And Alexander, my take is that Alexander Wang's coming out with a new fashion line for Asian ghosts. Um, <laughs> so that was fun. I mean, like they're they're out there, but like I just had to really dig deep into like okay. I need to build from scratch. Like it's not like a Christopher Walken thing where everyone has a version of that impression. Uh-huh. It's like I gotta really build this from the ground up, which is actually really fun and really rewarding.
2: And then now that you you write on the show,
1: mm-hmm.
2: what is it like?
1: It's really fun. It's um it feels like there's like a really fun like camp, summer camp, like college dorm aspect to it, mm-hmm. where on Tuesday nights everyone writes, stays up until like 5 a.m. And the pace of it is crazy. And um, Mm -hmm. what was really nice was having Nora there, Aquafina there, my second week there. And and I'd I'd worked with her on her pilot in the summer before. And that was, oh, my God, that was like one of the best experiences, truly, was just working on that pilot and just walking into a set with all Asian people and thinking, oh, this is how white people feel all the time. Mm. But really, like, (laughs) it was, we just sat there. It was me, Aquafina, B.D. Wong plays her dad. (gasps) Um, I played her cousin. Um, I played her douchebag cousin who's visiting from San Francisco and is talking about his, like, Silicon Valley life. (laughs) Total, total jerk. And then it it was um, Lori Tan Chin from Orange is the New Black.
0: Oh, Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. She plays her grandma. So it was the four of us in this family scene in a Chinese restaurant. We were shooting in Chinatown. And in between takes in this restaurant, we started talking about like wood ears. Like we had food in front of us. A dish had wood ears. We started talking about wood ears and there these, there these little like fungal things that mm-hmm. grow on trees that are in Asian cuisine. And then like we started talking about Asian, like travel to Asia and like all these different cultural things that like no one had to explain. And that was like a huge deal where I was like, oh because so, in so many environments and you folks probably feel the same way too where you just have to like you spend most of your time hiding these little grains of Asian identity but then as soon as something slips out you have to be like oh hold on I gotta like do a little primer right. for everybody on what right. this is." like I gotta explain to everybody what mochi is you know it's like silly things like that but like yeah. this was just a moment where like everyone was on the same page about this it was just a really cool thing and then to have Aquafina come on the show and host SNL was really special, and got to work on her monologue, and she was just uh, like the best. And I've only worked there three weeks, but um, it's been really special so far.
2: I have this very specific experience that I'm not proud of, uh-huh. but when I'm working in a very like, say, let's say like all white environment, white, white, white environment, HW, yeah. I'm used to being, like, the only Asian person around. Mm -hmm. And then when I see another Asian person pop up, I'm, like, almost instantly competitive with that one person. Yeah, yeah. And it goes away real quick. Totally. But still, just immediately, right? I get that feeling. And I'm not proud of it, Bowen. I'm not proud of it.
1: I get it. And it's not something you should feel pride or shame about. I think it's just—just to see it as what it is, it's just a byproduct of— a lot of spaces being mostly white that Mm -hmm. you've worked at, probably. Uh, For a while, I felt okay sort of being one of the only Asian people I knew doing comedy in, like, this very alt-Brooklyn-y scene. But then um, this guy named Joel Kim Booster moves Mm -hmm. to town. Mm -hmm. And then this other guy from Chicago, like, puts us on the same Facebook chat and is like, Bowen, Joel, you guys should meet each other. You're both gay, Asian, and funny. And then both of (laughs) us were like, Ew, what? Who is this person? (laughs) And, like... We immediately sort of, like, had this—it wasn't antagonistic, but it was, like, we were both suspicious of each other because this other white guy put us on the same thread and was like, you two— like mm. you, you guys should yeah. like be friends, and it's someone else's invisible hand, sort of like pushing right. you two together. And then we met, and then we like would have conversations, and now he's one of my best friends. I don't know. I think it's a, it's a little, it's a little mindfuck.
2: Yeah, Tobin, I, I just want you to know that I felt a tinge of competition when I met you at Transom. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we met at the same like radio uh-huh, training uh-huh.
1: Wow! And wow. was there that?
2: We were the only Asians there, only queer Asians there.
1: And now, like they you, now you're the spiritual leaders of <laughs> the entire movement of the Slasian movement. The Slasian. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> Bowen, thank you so much thank for you coming and talking to Hi. us. So Bowen Yang is a comedian, producer, and formerly mediocre chemistry major based in Brooklyn.
2: And by the way, that pilot Bowen was telling us about, the one with Aquafina, it just got picked up by Comedy Central. Congrats, Bowen. Congrats. All right, credits. Producer. Alice Wilder. Sound designer. Jeremy Bloom. Production fellow. Temi Fagbenle. Editor. Jenny Lawton. Executive producer. Paula Schumann. I'm Kathy Tu. I'm Tobin Lowe. And Nancy is a production of WNYC Studios. Bowen. Kathy. Bowen.
1: Kathy.
2: I want to know what is Kate McKinnon like?
1: She... The last week we were on, when Seth Meyers hosted... So in between dress rehearsal and air, um, everyone gathers into Lauren's office as he reveals what the final order of the sketches is. He gives quick notes. And it's just all the cast, all the writers, all the producers just stuffed in his office. Um, And Kate and I were sitting next to each other. And then we just made eye contact really quickly, just like playfully. And then she leans over to me, puts her hands on the sides of my face, pulls me close, like within an inch of her. And she goes... I feel tremendous affection towards you. And then then she goes, I don't know why. I barely know you. And then I go, I feel tremendous affection towards you. And then she goes, I barely know you. Imagine if I did know you at all. And I go, you'd be immediately disenchanted. And she said, no, I'd be more in love. And then she pulled away. She's just, she's the best person. She's the nicest. And she got me hooked on 90 Day Fiance before the 90 Days. It's a reality show on TLC. It's bonkers. (laughs)